Some of you have heard the expression, London calling, well this is Bob calling, this is my life story. I hope it entertains you because I'm sure I was entertained one way or the other, either fantastic or God know, during my life. And uh, so here goes. As I said before, I um, was asked to leave by my uncle. I mean, I was a good kid. I, nothing wrong with me. Um, I didn't play up or really do anything to cause my uncle and auntie any, any uh, anguish. It was just that uh, my uncle started to put in all this time for me. Um, just harking back to the buggy, one of the things he wanted to do was um, get it all prettied up and uh, get a, a really good show horse and enter it into the royal show. That was the sort of thing he, he would you know, sort of strive for. But um, he, uh, he, he really did put... A lot of time anyway these his two daughters were very little i mean one one was about four or five or something and the other one was about two or three so um i guess you know having a i was a son that that he never had and in fact one day he did say to me um uh i think i might adopt you well <laughs> oh my god you couldn't even believe it could you but um that's what caused my auntie to get pretty snooty about the whole thing and so anyway so I left and um one I saw my father that day and um he drove me back and he must have had a little private conversation with my uncle and auntie and, and one week later I packed my bags and he took me to a boarding house no where else he could take me there was no other family that wanted to take me in and here am I 16 years old he took me to this boarding house in Armadale and it was almost next door to the primary school that I went to. And I said, I think I know the kid that lives in here. And he goes, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, Jeff Tate. Anyway, he said, yeah, that's the lady's name, Mrs. Tate. We knocked on the front door and she came out and she said, oh, okay. She didn't really know me, but she said, uh, Robert, I was known as then. Robert... Um, okay, she said, come in, bring your bag in here. My dad didn't even come through the front door. He just said, thanks very much, and off he went. Whether he went out and got in his ute and cried or just drove off, I, I don't know. I'll never know. Um, but anyway, um, I went in and um, and I said, I think, does Jeff live here? Yes, Jeff, Jeff. Then she went and got her son. Hey, what are you doing here, Arch? I said, well, I've come to live here. And um, I then started uh, a mateship between us. And um, as I speak now, I'm trying to find him and I'm having trouble trying to find him because he's moved. And um, and I know he hasn't died because <laughs> I was checked with the cemetery at Springvale. Um, but anyway... Um, Cancel his mobile phone number, that's not answering. His line number's not answering either. Um, so he's obviously gone somewhere. Um, and maybe the phones are in his wife's name or something when they moved. But um, anyway, um, so that relationship, and then it was a boarding house, it was probably, we had two tablefuls 
two tables of of about six so there's about 12 borders there and they were all uh, only men but not all of them were old men there was only, I think there was only about two that were what you call starting to get on a bit all the rest were sort of Noble body people going to work on that. There was one lady, I think, from memory. And um, so, anyway, Jeff and I we started knocking around together, and um, uh, we used to walk from um, Northcote Road, Armadale, up High Street to Glenfrey Road to a milk bar there. And um, there was a whole bunch of kids, all rough hair age and a bit older, used to hang around in the milk bar, and there was a slot machine there and Jeff used to monopolize the slot machine he just loved it you know putting his money in and and you used to be able to win uh, money out of it too because uh, it would, um, would pay out these little um, brass coins and you could cash them in over the, over the counter um, not that not not that it was worth that, that much well than well the cheap stations that's for sure um, but anyway, we did. We knocked around together, and um, uh, oh, I wish I could remember all the things we did. But um, I know one of the things we did do. We used to run all the way from uh, Northcote Road, Armadale, right up to Glenfrey Road. It was just probably would have been about a mile in the old measurement, um, and and we'd run home. Jeff was really, really capable of doing that too. He was a streak. And I used to often say to him, you should be um, running for a sport. And, um, but anyway, uh, he, he was never really interested in taking on running. But however, we took on Lacrosse service and we played for Malvern. And uh, we had a little bit of a success there with, uh, every Saturday playing lacrosse. Um, probably a lot of people don't know what it is today, but uh, I think it's more of an American game. But, um, you know, you have a, like a, a, a racket with sort of, like a, sort of like a pouch on the end. You scoop up the ball and run like stink and try and throw it through a, a goal, which was similar to a um, soccer goal. Um so yeah, we did that for a while, and um, and when we gave that away, we were having a drink, pair of us in the Orong Hotel one one Saturday, late Saturday Arvo, and um, in walked um, a couple of the leading lights from the Melbourne Lacrosse Club, and I mean, they must have thought a lot of us because they were doing their absolute best to get us to come back and play, but we we sort of lost interest then but um yeah we uh we got up to a little bit of mischief um one night there someone had a uh, stuffed um dummy uh which was almost lifestyle life size and they chucked it out across the tram tracks as the tram was coming and the tram slammed driver slammed on the brakes thought thinking it was an income body across the Tram tracks. He got out. We were all standing on the on the footpath, just sort of standing there watching. And he got out, 
And when he saw what it was, he looked around, saw us all stand there. He went and got his dirty big steel rod that they they changed the um, points over with and chased us. <laughs> we were too quick for him. But there was um, just around from the milk bar where we hung out. There was a Catholic um, place where um, girls that got themselves in a little bit of strife used to finish up there to supposed to be um, sorted out and but the nuns weren't too bad they used to let them out and they'd come round to the milk bar and and I can remember giving one a big passionate kiss on it in the street one one no no idea what her name was just just started my arm round her and got talking to her and then gave her a great big kiss um so that was the start of my um it's probably the start of my sex life I guess um Judy Lee wasn't going to let it start, so it probably started then. But um, uh, and that's as far as it went—a dirty big kiss. But anyway, um, uh, one uh, one night, uh, Jeff said to me, "Come into my bedroom. I want to show you something." And I took him in there, and here was this radio, portable radio. It was probably probably about. Oh, 25 centimetres long, maybe a bit longer, maybe 30 centimetres long, and, uh, you know, um, maybe about 20 centimetres deep in height sort of thing, but <clears throat> they were pretty rare items, those sorts of radios in those days. I said, oh, jeez, bought one of those, have you? What that cost you? So I didn't buy it. I said, what do you mean you didn't buy it? He said, oh, I was walking along the street, and he said, and... Um, Walked past his car and the window was down. There was no one in the car and there was a radio sitting on the seat. So he said, I grabbed it. You're joking. He goes, no, no. So, oh, I don't know. Anyway, that was okay. So, I don't know, a few days, maybe a week or something later, a bloke I worked with, a young bloke I worked with, he had a car and uh, he had this girlfriend and um, he said, let's go for a drive one night, you know, and, after tea and got the girlfriend and she was actually in the back seat and um i got in the front and i said Do you have a radio in this car he said no and that was generally not many cars had radios hang on a minute i'll go and borrow my mates in, in the um boarding house so i went and asked jeff if i could borrow and he goes yeah so so we give it to the girl in the back and she was at the radio going we went for a drive and we finished up driving around some kilda area and Cruising along and the car broke down. Boom. Stopped dead. And uh, I think from memory it was a, a FJ Holden or something like that. And uh, anyway, uh, we're at the bonnet up and we're trying to work out what the problem is with the car. And along come the cops. And uh, a couple of good cops put their torch out and they're looking at the engine. They're trying to help us. And... Um, they had two torches, one each, and um, anyway, one cop decided he'd have a bit of a look at the car. And as he started wandering around looking inside the car, here's this girl, she's actually had laid down on the back seat and she had the radio up to her ear. So he pulled, pulled her out in the radio and uh, believe it or not, they had a report and a description. And that was it. We all went to the police station and um, it was 
she got out quick smart because she knew nothing about it. My mate got out quick smart because he knew nothing about it. To me, um, I'm the guilty one. And I got a severe hiding from about five or six cops. Wanted me to tell them everything and anything about what was going on in Armadale. All the stuff that was going down, petrol was getting pinched, all sorts of stuff which I knew nothing about. Uh, and the cop that was doing most of it, uh, he got he got pretty savage. He actually put a chair on top of the table and climbed up on top of the chair and he said to the other blokes, hold him there, and when I jump, you just get out of the way. Let him take my weight. And that happened, and down I went, big heap. Fortunately, I never got hurt. And um, stood up and he said, now I'm going to do that again. Let's just start telling me about everything that's going on. I thought... I can't tell you anything about what's going on. I don't know anything. And um, so, true as I sit here talking, he actually got a gun and he put the gun across my stomach and uh, he said, I'm going to pull the trigger and put a burn mark right across your stomach. And um, I just immediately knew that that was absolute garbage, that you just couldn't do that. And um, where would the bullet finish up? And I burst out laughing. I said, go on, pull the trigger, mate. And I said, you're an absolute idiot. That didn't please him too much, I can tell you. Um, but anyway, um, I finished up having to tell them where I got the radio from, and they went and got me, mate. They locked me up. I went and got me mate and he come down with his father and his father bailed me out and bailed Jeff out. And we had to go to court. And uh, at least I can, at my age now, I can look back and say, well, I know what the inside of a jail was like. I was probably locked up for a couple of hours. Anyway, we went to court and I don't even remember much about the court case at all except that um, uh, we got off uh, on a good behaviour bond or something, something like that. We were never convicted. Thank goodness. And um, anyway, my father was there and he came with us and um, we decided to go to the Armadale Hotel for a counter lunch. And I'd already been having a few beers, which my father never knew anything about. We got right to, right to the door of the pub and I said, Dad, maybe you don't mind, but I have a few beers now. And he goes, oh, that's all right, son. We went in and we all had a couple of beers each and a counter lunch. And that, that was the end of that. Um, so, yeah, all sorts of things start to happen and um, I remember my father <laughs> saying to me one day, you know, son, he said, you're lucky you never went the wrong way. Oh, yeah. He said, and I'll tell you what saved you. I said, what was that? He said, the way you were brought up. Well, I was only brought up till I was 13. And um, by that time, I was about 17 when all that happened. And, and uh, so I guess from 16 on, I've had to really look after myself. Um, and look, another thing that happened too, like after a while, I met another bloke. And, um, and uh, I was just so anxious. I wanted to go and live with a family. And I said to him, oh, just... The boarding house is all right, I said, but I wouldn't mind living with the family. He said, well, come and live with my family. He said, um, 
we got a nice big uh, sleep out at the back in the backyard and he said I sleep in there and there's room for an there is another bed in there he said come there mum won't mind so um, and I knew his sister I'd actually I'd actually got to know his sister and um, yeah, so anyway down I I used to take her out actually and anyway down I go and mother was more than happy to have us in there oh little did I know they were absolute drunks especially mother Saturday was their big day she'd get raw and drunk and uh, all sorts of things no wonder they never killed each other they used to get pretty violent and um, anyway um, I just can't think of his father's name now um, I should have done a bit of deep thought before I started talking about this but they were musicians and they basically taught me how to play the drums at a drum kit there and I used to I used to have jam sessions and and uh, Neville Neville Fenderman um, was my mate's name and he was the same as his father he played the saxophone the piano and the double bass and the drums and we would the three of us get going some some nights here we used to have these jam sessions and um then we had another mate come along with his his um bass guitar and, and he used to have a bit of a practice with us as well and we actually started doing a few jobs and uh we um we went to um one called the Glee Club, which was um, uh, run by uh, the Wharf Labourers Union. And it was in this hall. They owned a hall which was surrounded by backyards. It was just a little lane to take you up to this hall. And we played every Saturday night. And um, we could, it was just open slather for us. We could just go to the bar and drink whatever we wanted. And, and, um, Everyone enjoyed our music. They were all dancing around the place. And, and one day, I, or one Saturday night, I said to one of the blokes here, I said, what does it cost you to be a member here? He said, oh, it cost us 10 shillings every every Saturday night. And uh, I suppose, I don't know, today that might be, 10 shillings might be $20 or something. I don't know. Um, in any case, he said, 10 shillings Saturday night and we can just drink much as we like. I said, Crikey's. Gee, they must be able to buy the beer pretty cheap. And he said, oh, they don't buy it. He said, they knock it off from the railways and barrels. So <laughs> I started to start to wake up. They're just a whole big bunch of crooks that turned out. And um, uh, one bloke one night wanted to fight me and uh, uh, managed to shake him off and that the fight never occurred. Um, and uh, which I'm pretty grateful for, but uh, then one night they decided to have a Dutch auction to make money for a bloke who was up on a rape charge for his solicitor. And I said to um, Neville's father, I said, that's it, mate, I'm out of here. I said, I'm not playing anymore. And uh, he agreed, yeah, he said, we could all get lumbered, all of us, uh, at least raid this place, you know. So that was, that was the end of that. Uh, we didn't play too many more things, after, too many jobs after that, but um, 
uh, we did play one in a, a, a racing uh, a, a, a racing enthusiasts, um, and uh, it was at Caulfield, this big old home, beautiful home, and a lot of people there, the racing industry, and um, anyway, uh, the guy said to us, if you want to go to the tour, just go through that back door there, and that'll take you out in the back lawn, he said, and just have a fiddle out there in the garden, you know. And uh, anyway, um, one of the boys in the band said, um, I know this guy, um, his father, his son is the worst, well, in those days, Pufta, gay, he's probably the worst bloke you ever want to meet. He said he's about six foot six, he's enormous size, and he said he'll just go for you straight away if he gets a chance. God, anyway, um, we all went out for a leak, and I was the last one to go through the door because I'm the last one to finish having the leak, and I was about to turn around and come back in, and it was pretty pretty dark out there. There was no, no moon or anything that night, and all of a sudden out of the darkness come this dirty big bloke, and he's coming at me, and I said, you can leave me alone, mate, I'm going inside. He goes, oh, you don't understand, oh, I'm so lonely, come here. I said, no, no. And he thought, I, thought the door slammed the door behind me. Oh, crikey. Oh, the things that the things that happen in your life when you when you look back and you start talking and you, you suddenly realise all these different things that happen. Oh, another night there when we were living in the boarding house. Um, there were another couple of blokes, brothers, uh, Evan and Jim Hutchings, almost my name, Hutchings. And I knew them when I went to school and and um, Jim was really bad case. Evan was good. He's the exact opposite to his brother. And they had this car, an old Willys. And we all went for a ride in the Willys. And as not uncommon in those days, all the old cars were going on, they'd break down. And this broke down at the top of a hill, Riversdale Road and Glen, Glen Ferry Road. And um, we are parked in the curb, pointing downwards. We got out, no way could we start it. We only had to walk about 20 minutes to catch the tram and Glen Ferry Road back to our milk bar that we hung out at. And uh, Jimmy Hutching said, come on, give the car a push and we'll just push it and let it run down downhill on its own. Oh, God. I had to really, really do some fast talking to, to, to talk him out of that. And it never happened. And I don't know what happened to the car after that, but we all caught Graham and went, went back to the milk bar. <coughs> yeah, so that was a bit of a life. Um, and um, I eventually had to leave the... My mate's place, which was down in Ripon Lee, where I was sleeping in the sleep out. Um, uh, and I moved to another boarding house um, in Finch Street, uh, Caulfield. And oh, I was shock horror. It was terrible. And I was there about one week, and I noticed it was the boarding house over the road. And um, so I just grabbed my bag and went over there. I said, you got a room? And they said, yeah. Went in there and I met three blokes who were taking time off from their jobs um, to come down to Melbourne from Sydney. They were staying down here for a few weeks, going to have a bit of a holiday. And uh, so I started, got friendly with them. And then the lady of the boarding house said, Look, you four blokes, she said, I want to move you all to Malvern to my 
daughter and son-in-law's boarding house. I own it, but they run it. And they're more your age, and everyone in that place is young. So what do you reckon? So we said, yeah, we'll, we'll go there. So we'll leave that, we'll leave that for another, another night. Mm-hmm.